Hi there, once again, this is Winston Male, and I welcome you to Transparency Talks, a podcast from the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ. And the podcast, just like in the previous ones, we normally focus on issues of truth, transparency, trust, and the people within the CCIJ community. And we speak to different journalists within the community who are originating from different parts of the world. Guess what? This is a special edition today because it features the people behind the production of the Transparency Talks podcast. We're talking about Joshua Visas, Kira Steak, and of course, yours truly, Winston Mwala here. And uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, so what we are going to do is you are going to know each one of us, uh, how we got started in journalism and where we are. So the way we have arranged it is that, first of all, we are going to ask Joshua to tell us a bit about uh, himself, how he started his career and where he is right now. And uh, I'm going to ask my colleague, Kira, to be the first one to throw the ball, to ask the questions. Kira, it's up to you. Uh, fire the first question to Joshua, please. Wow, super exciting to be kicking it off. Thank you so much, Winston. Um, so Joshua, I hope you don't mind. I did do a little bit of internet snooping to kind of come up with these questions. And I read that you kind of, when you were starting out, thought that you would actually go into computer programming. And I was wondering if you could kind of explain your journey starting from something so different like computer programming to ending up in journalism. Sure, yeah. Uh, thank you and, and thank you for, for inviting me to be part of this podcast. Um, and, uh, I, uh, so in, in high school, I was pretty convinced that I was going to get into, you know, computer programming or, or some kind of computer science work. Um, and I took a, uh, a, a tech center class, which is kind of a special half day class that, that we had available to us, um, about computer information systems. So it's a three hour long class. And I realized that I wasn't actually very good at sitting in front of a computer for that long. Um, I got really fidgety and I wanted to talk to everyone around me and I got yelled at by my teacher a couple times. And so then I started thinking, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't the profession for me. Um, and, uh, so after high school, I, I actually ended up not going straight to college because I, I was unsure of, of what I wanted to do. And then eventually I went back to college and uh, was exploring different classes and things. And I, I ended up at the school paper at uh, Grand Rapids Community College there and had a fantastic professor, uh, Jennifer Ackerman Haywood there. And uh, that's kind of where I, I started to realize, hey, you know, I think, I think journalism fits me a lot better. Great, wonderful. Winston, wanna take over? Yeah, sure. Uh, Joshua, you just said, well, after maybe exploring different uh, careers, you ended up in, in journalism. Um, that's great. But then uh, tell us a bit about your first job. My first job out of college? Yeah, um, sure. Okay, yeah. So I, I graduated from college and, and I applied to a few different places here in Michigan. Um, I, I knew that I, I wanted to stay in Michigan. Um, I, I liked it here and I had been doing some work in college here, so I was a little more familiar with some of the laws and, and things. Um, and uh, Michigan's Upper Peninsula is is beautiful. It's, it's mostly rural. Um, and I actually got offered a job here in, in Houghton, Michigan, uh, which is also the home of Michigan Tech University. Uh, the entire county only has about 30,000 people in it. Uh, so that makes the university the uh, 
largest employer. And um, when the students are here, they make up about a quarter of the population in the area. Um, but uh, my, my fiance and I liked the area, so we moved here to, and I, I worked at the Daily Mining Gazette. Um, I was pretty quickly uh, promoted to being the uh, associate editor there. Um, I covered things like the, the Keweenaw Bay Indian community and uh, the local county politics. Um, when I first got here, there had just been a major flooding incident, um, which they actually just finished the repairs of now three years later. And, uh, um, and I, I liked working for the newspaper, but the newspapers here have been um, diminished. It's, it's owned basically by a, a, like a hedge fund company and they don't reinvest in the company much. So uh, earlier this year, I decided to leave and I've launched my own outlet. Well, now talking about uh, uh, launching your own outlet, this reminds, uh, I mean, this is almost the same path that I took after leaving Zodiac, I started my own outlet, Africa Brief. Tell us a bit about this outlet and why you decided to take that route. Yeah, well, the newspaper is is good, and there's a lot of people who still really like the newspaper, but they they weren't pivoting to the digital space at all. Um, so so my outlet uh, it's it's called Late Edition, although I'm I'm hoping to rename it once I refound it as a as a nonprofit. Um, it's uh, you know it's all digital, and and as such, I I use not just you know photos and and text, but I'm also able to use video. I occasionally produce uh, you know podcasts with with local sources, um, and it's also delivered to people's email inboxes rather than their mailboxes or or front doorsteps. Um, it's been a little difficult uh, covering multiple municipalities as a single person because a lot of times they'll schedule meetings that conflict with each other, so I can only go to one or the other. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's been really nice to be able to uh, follow my ethics without having to answer to a publisher um, who, who at, at the newspaper, the publisher tends to side with advertisers and advertising over the editorial side. And um, my new outlet does not depend on advertising at all. It's, it's all based on subscription uh, fees from, from my readers. Um, so it's, it's nice to not have to be concerned with those things and, and really just be responsive to my readers alone. Okay, great. Maybe before Kira, you jump in again, maybe before, for another question for Joshua, uh, I would like to understand Joshua, uh, at what point did you, you know, become involved with CCIJ? That's actually, uh, a, one of the harder questions to answer. Um, uh, Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, the director, he was one of my professors at Grand Valley State University. And I would say that in, in some aspects, I, I became involved at that time when I was in class, but it was really in, in a pretty, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I was a, a listener and a learner. I didn't contribute much. Um, so after I, after I left college and graduated and came up here, you know, I stayed in touch. I stayed uh, up um, you know, on the mailing list and I got all the updates and everything. And last fall, uh, I was reporting a story where some local residents had their water to their homes, uh, cut off without warning by a, a work crew that was working for the local, uh, county. And, uh, so I was interviewed for the waterless podcast. Um, and that was the first time I'd been interviewed on a podcast and it was really exciting for me. 
And uh, after that season wrapped up, then I was invited to um, become the the kind of the technical producer of the of the of the podcast series after that. And I've I've really enjoyed working on it since then. Um, I, I really like. Even though I'm usually quiet, I really like being able to sit in on these conversations with journalists from all over the world. Oh, that's great. Uh, Kira, it's up to you. I know you have uh, maybe one or two questions for Joshua. Right. You know, I think there actually may have been a little bit of crossover in our questions. But, you know, Joshua, I know you mentioned, you know, how you made this conscious effort to stay based in the upper peninsula of, Mis of Michigan. Um, and I was kind of wondering if this context of place has any influence on your work or if that's something you could talk about at all. Absolutely. Uh, one big thing that changed when I moved up here is, like I said, the, the population here is low. And the people who are interested in being involved in government are actually even lower, um, especially considering that a lot of the people that live up here are students. And, and so they, you know, they either don't live here full time or they're only planning on living here for a few years before they, they leave for, for another job. Um, so when I got up here, you know, I, I was very used to down in Grand Rapids, there being a, a separation of, uh, you know, um, like an ethical separation between everything. But up here, I had to kind of change that expectation because everyone is related to everyone. Every every politician is also a business owner because there are no full-time politicians up here. Um, so there's a lot of you know potential conflicts of interest that uh, need to be mentioned at times, but also at a certain point have to be ignored because if we ruled out everybody who had a conflict of interest, there would be no one left to do the work. Um, so, and, and that's literally happened. Uh, I actually went to a village council meeting up in Calumet on Tuesday night and they had to reschedule it for tonight because not enough people showed up because they were busy doing other things. They have seven seats on their village council and two of them have been empty for months because they can't find people to replace them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, oh, that, 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 well, that, that, that's really great. Uh, yeah, yeah. You still have something to say, uh, Josh. Yeah. Well, I was just saying like. You know, moving from, you know, doing co my college work in, in a more urban setting, you know, not that Grand Rapids is a huge city, but it is a city to to such a rural area. Um, it's it certainly changed that. And then the other thing that uh, that's a, a much more positive thing is things move a little slower here. Uh, there's plenty of news. There's still more news than I can get to um, as an individual. But uh it's not always at this breakneck pace where I have to be, you know, up 20 hours a day, every day of the week. Um, I, I get decent sleep. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. Uh, listener, just remember that you are listening to Transparency Talks, a podcast from the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, CCIJ. And today is a special edition because it is featuring the people behind the production of the podcast. We're talking about Joshua and Kira. And of course, myself. You've just heard Joshua explaining a bit about his background. And uh, this time around, we are going to Kira. We are focusing our attention to Kira. Uh, I guess, Joshua, you know, you've received this, a bombardment of so many questions. I should give you a chance to start asking questions uh, to Kira. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm a little more comfortable with that. Um, so, uh, Kira, I also did a little internet backgrounding on you. And <laughs> the, 
the the trick of it being that I'm not totally sure I got the right person. I'm I'm hoping there's only one Kira Steck uh, who does much journalism. So just to just to check, uh, you uh, interned for the uh, Martha Vineyard Times. I did. Yes, that is where I kind of first got my footing with journalism. So I interned with them last summer as well as this past spring. Okay. All right. And I think I got the right person. <laughs> so uh, while you were interning for them, you worked on a project called Voices on Racism, uh, which you actually won the feature writing uh, award for Region 5 from the Society of Professional Journalist Excellence Awards. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That was a 14-part series. And I know that from from writing some of these, these emotional stories, or these stories can get emotional, and, and that can be difficult. And I was wondering if of those 14 parts, there was one that stood out as um, especially difficult for you to, to write, uh, you know, to be able to encompass in a single story and, and to be able to include the emotions that, that were in that. Yeah, for sure. Um, great question. And again, thank you guys so much for, for doing this. I'm so excited to be you know, on the other side of this and answering questions. Um, to give a little context for our listeners, the Voices on Racism project um, was a project that I did last summer as an intern with the Martha's Vineyard Times, where um, I interviewed 14 different individuals who were people of color on the island of Martha's Vineyard, which is off the coast of Massachusetts. Um, and the reason we did this project was because there was an attitude that um, racism and prejudice was not an issue on the island, that we were a post-racial society. Um, and then there were all these people who were actually experiencing it who were being silenced. Um, and so the interviews were actually more like oral histories where instead of it being a story, um, it was more like personal essays that I would transcribe and condense. Um, and to answer your question, Joshua, there were two that I remember really well. Um, and it was actually a married couple. So I interviewed both the wife and the husband. Um, and, and they were both very heavy, you know, very difficult interviews where at multiple times I had to take a break or they had to take a break um, so we could just kind of recollect ourselves. And I think the reason that it was so difficult um, is because the, the heavy topics that we were talking about, I was hearing from both sides, um, both kind of members of this couple experiencing the same things, the husband talking about the wife's experience and vice versa. Um, and, you know, I would take interviews that lasted three hours each and try to condense them into a 1,000-word essay, which was incredibly difficult, you know, trying to maintain those themes um, and maintain that person's autonomy to make sure that they still felt represented in that small snippet of what we talked about. Um, and so for each, I kind of just found the places that I thought would be most representative of what we were talking about and try to include as many of those details as possible. Um, does that answer your question? Sorry, I, I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent and may have forgotten it. No, I, I think that does. Um, and I, I've, I don't know that I've ever had a three-hour interview, but I, I understand the difficulty of trying to condense those emotions down into text. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a challenge, one that I'm happy that I took on, and I think one that I was also very nervous to take on. You know, these people were being really vulnerable with me and trusting me to tell their story, and yet I could only tell a small part of it. Um, and I think that the nerves really only calmed when the story was published. I started this project in June. It wasn't published until July, or no, sorry, um, actually November. Um, and so I only really felt those nerves 
disappear when I was getting messages from the people that I'd interviewed kind of thanking me and saying that they they felt like they were well represented so that was when I could whew, take a breath and and feel like my work had been done well but really it wasn't until that moment that that I knew that I'd done a good job and then I, my, my follow-up for you uh, is, is actually, it's not really much of a follow-up. It's pretty much an entirely separate. Um, you've, you've uh, I guess you've, you've interned in a couple places. Could you, could you tell me a little bit about your background? I mean, you're Northwestern and then Martha's Vineyard is in Massachusetts. And it, it's, it seems like you've, you've been moving around a lot in, in your young life. You know, I actually have. I've been a little bit all over the place. I actually started my first year at Middlebury College in Vermont to kind of add to my geography. So I started at Middlebury, which is where I kind of really learned I wanted to do more environmental work. Um, and that was also where I, I'd always kind of flirted with the idea of journalism before that. I'd done some in high school. I kind of thought maybe that's what I would end up doing. Um, but it was at Middlebury College that I realized that I really did want to study journalism. And as a liberal arts school, um, I wasn't sure I'd really have the best opportunity to do that. Um, and so that's where I transferred to Northwestern University to enroll in their School of Journalism, um, which has just been an incredible program. I've had amazing professors and so much support. Um, and my family is from the Boston area. And actually over COVID, we moved to the island of Martha's Vineyard, which moving during COVID was such an experience. I mean, it was absolutely boring and wild all at the same time. And so that was where I started to intern with the Martha's Vineyard Times, um, which was my first daily news internship. And they told me it was not the kind of internship where you run and get coffee. It's very hit the ground running. And I kind of, you know, was like, okay, sure. Yeah. And then I started on my very first week and I got a very incredible story where I was covering local protests, um, at a corner called Beetlebung Corner that was being led by local activist Dana Nunez and actually celebrity comedian Amy Schumer, which mm. was, yeah. So, I mean, my very first week as an intern, I was interviewing a very notable celebrity um, on a topic that was really important because these were Black Lives Matter protests as well. Um, so that was just such an incredible opportunity. And I was able to work with them again remotely this past spring from my apartment in Evanston where I was for the school year. Um, and then joining the CCIJ was also Northwestern related as Jeff Kelly Lowenstein actually spoke to one of my um, media law and ethics class. He was one of our guest speakers, talked about the CCIJ's work, um, about the incredible influence and impact that you guys are able to have. Um, and it just sounded right up my alley. So immediately after that class, I gave him a call. Uh, and that's how I'm here today. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Definitely uh, all over the place, though, but I kind of like it that way. <laughs> oh, wow, so interesting. Uh, well, I think uh, Josh has asked almost everything. Uh, now, talk about your internship at CCIJ. Um, you've just told us how you got involved. Um, now, tell us a bit uh, of your experience so far. What lessons have you learned and um, what actually do you do? It has been such an incredible experience. I, I hope this does not come off as an advertisement for CCIJ, um, but it has been absolutely wonderful working with the team. Um, I think the greatest opportunity has really just been connecting with all of these, you know, different people in the industry, you know, Winston and Joshua included, just getting to know you guys, getting to know your backgrounds, um, working with the different people. Um, even in a remote setting, I feel like 
people have made such an effort to reach out to me and help me and aid me and get me involved in different projects. Um, right now I'm working with um, the SGV, oh, sorry, SJV collaboration on a follow-up to our um, California waterpreneurs um, investigation that was completed a few months before I started with you guys. So working with Lois Henry on that has been absolutely fantastic. And working, of course, on this podcast has been incredible. Um, in terms of lessons, I think it's just been a continued lesson of how to stay engaged in a remote setting, um, how to get to know your coworkers in an engaged setting, um, and kind of making sure you advocate for yourself to get on projects that you think align with what you're hoping to do, um, if that answers your question. Sure, sure, it does. Sure, it does. Um, well, uh, I don't know how we proceed. Um, well, I'm here, guys. Who is going to start firing the first question? I'm already, I'm already worried. Well, I, I think it should be Kira since she was, she just had her turn in the hot seat. <laughs> I think it's her turn to ask questions. All now. right, sure. Well, I'll kind of start a little bit with the classic question that we love to ask on this podcast, which is, you know, your journalism career began over a decade ago. Kind of tell us where did it start? When did you first think journalism was the right path for you? Oh, okay. What a great question. Um, you know, I think yeah, I, I have a feeling. Uh, I don't know whether each one of you agrees with me, but I have a feeling that, you know, the issue of journalism or what, whatever career one takes in life always starts when somebody is young, okay? I grew up in a country called Zimbabwe. It's one of the countries in Southern Africa. Um, I grew up there. So I remember while I was still young, I used to love reading newspapers, you know, I, I was one of those people who hated to see people tearing newspapers or throw, throwing away newspapers. I had stacks and stacks of newspapers, even at a tender, tender age, including magazines. That's where my love for journalism uh, started. But then I didn't become a journalist uh, uh, after some years. So my first job was uh, as a teacher, a primary school teacher from, 20, uh, from 2000 to 2009. Now, during that period, I still yearned, you know, I still had that desire to become a journalist. Uh, I remember I even enrolled uh, in an online journalism uh, uh, training. Uh, that was in 1998, yeah. Um, so, but then I still continued with the, my teaching um, uh, career, uh, despite the fact that I still yearned to become a journalist. Then in 2009, an opportunity came when one of the biggest private radio stations or media houses uh, advertised for, a, for some correspondents. Uh, just to explain that this particular media house is called Zodiac Broadcasting Station. It, uh, the way they operate is that Malawi has got 28 districts. Okay, Now, in each of these districts, they place uh, some correspondent. So... It happened that in 2009, uh, they advertised for a correspondent in one of the districts. So I said, well, I think this is my opportunity. So I applied. And um, lucky enough, because I'd already done training, basic training in journalism, they took me on board. Uh, so that's how I started uh, what I would say uh, professional journalism from 2009. And then uh, I worked with this particular media house up to 2019, when I decided to, you know, do some other things. So, yeah, it's something that started long time back, but professionally, I started in 2009. 
Great, Josh, over to you. Okay, I've got another question about uh, awards. Uh, Winston, you've won several awards, uh, including in 2015, the Journalist of the Year from the South African Development Community. I was wondering how meaningful it is to you to win a, awards like that. Uh, thanks so much for that question. You know, when I joined Zodiac Broadcasting Station in 2009, um, my colleagues, I would see colleagues winning local awards for the nat at national level. You know, I was feeling that kind of, uh, you know, desire to say, oh, okay, maybe next time it should be, it should be me. Um, so I focused on, the, on doing my work, uh, writing great stories, uh, not thinking much about awards. But I mean, you never, you, you can't run away from the fact that, uh, I mean, subconsciously you'd wish you'd you'd win these awards. So then it happened that in 2012 I won the first local award. Then almost every year I kept on winning these local media awards. Then in this SADC uh, media award. Uh, SADC is a, it's a grouping of countries in Southern Africa. There are about 16 countries. So mm -hmm. what they do is that uh, they've got these, these media awards just to encourage journalists to write more about stories that are happening within the region. So every year they call out for, you know, journalists within the region to submit their stories. Um, of course, the, the underlying theme of those stories should be about integration. Okay, so in 2015, I entered my first entry for this particular award. Uh, it happened that the previous year, in 2014, I'd traveled to Zambia. Zambia is just one of the neighboring countries with Malawi. So annually in Zambia, there is a cultural event for the Chewa. The Chewas are a tribe that are found in three countries. They're found in Zambia, they're found in Malawi, they're also found in Mozambique. So every year in August, at the end of August, every year, they hold an annual cultural event. So it happened that in 2014, uh, Zodiac assigned me to cover this particular event. So while there, I took an interest in this event because uh, to me, I realized that this is one of the events that in as much as it, it may be secretariat level, at the uh, regional level, the technocrats were talking about, you know, coming together, integration. Well, that was at a higher level. But this particular cultural event, you know, kind of, you know, uh, materialized or brought to, 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 to the fruition of that talk of integration, working together, you know. So I talked to the, the, the chairs from Malawi, Chewas from Zambia, Chewas from Mozambique, to understand why they felt that that, that cultural event was important. So apart from those uh, locals that I found there, I also talked to the officials. And then at the end of the day, I wrote uh, a story for, it was actually a radio story because Zodiac Broadcasting has got three, three platforms. It has got TV, online, and also radio. So I produced a, a, a radio piece. And then the following year in 2015, I entered it for these media awards. I never knew that I would actually win an award for, for, for that story, but lucky enough, uh, I got an award. Mainly, they were interested in the story because, like I said, it, it, it showed uh, people coming together, you know, not being aged by officials up there, okay? 
people coming together um, despite their uh, boundaries, you know, country country boundaries. They were coming together um, just to celebrate their culture. So that was the kind of the story um, that eventually won me an award in 2015. Okay, thank you. My follow-up was going to be about the story. So you've already covered that. I'll just pass it back to Kira. <laughs> Um, kind of moving forward a little bit in your career, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about what inspired you to found Africa Brief, what the inspiration behind that was. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's great. Uh, what happened was that uh, while I was still working with the Zodiac, I was one of the prolific uh, journalists, uh, to say the truth, because for information, one day I remember I got a call from, from the boss, the managing director, calling me... <laughs> jokingly to say, Winston, why is it that in each and every briefing, you are always there? It's like you are the only person who is working in the newsroom. So I said, well, I'm just doing my job. So then it also happened that I was also writing a lot of stories for the online platform, um, the, 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 the website. Uh, but then what troubled me was that, you know, I think twice the website crashed. Okay, it crashed. And then he Okay, uh, what I noted is that most people were not bothered, okay? But I was, I was really, really troubled because most of the work that was on that platform, on that uh, website, were mine. So I felt bad. And then secondly, again, I think in 2018, it crashed again. So most of my works were gone. So I said, okay, fine. Uh, let me start, you know, some online platform where I'll be posting the same stories that I post on the website, uh, on the official website, I can also be posting on my, you know, my online platform. I didn't think that it's going, it's going to be some big thing. Then uh, when I decided to leave Zodiac in 2019, I said, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to work as a uh, journalism lecturer or professor, you call, it, call them professor in the United States. Uh, but still, I'll still love journalism. I can't just stop writing. So I will maintain uh, this Africa uh, brief platform, but then I'll open it up to other uh, like-minded writers and journalists from all over Africa who can, you know, come and join me. So basically the idea is that anyone in Africa can come and uh, have their stories published. Uh, it's up to them to decide whatever they want to do with the stories, whether they want to enter into contest, they want to apply for something, but it's a platform eventually where people who are like-minded can come together and, you know, publish different stories, as long as we adhere to journalistic ethics. So that was the origin of Africa Brief. That is great. You know, I think we only have time for about one more question. Um, and so a little bit selfishly, I want to ask you, you know, what advice you might have for journalists like myself who are just getting started in the industry and just finding our footing? Well, I think my advice is um, um, just love your job. Just always remember that, you know, sometimes we don't realize that as journalists, we wield a lot of power, okay? We have an opportunity to talk to people that the ordinary person, sorry, ordinary in, in quotes. I don't want, I don't like this idea of saying, of classifying people into ordinary and what have you. But anyway, you see, as journalists, we've got an opportunity, we've got the power to confront, to meet, to talk to officials, okay? This is the power, this is the opportunity that 
the ordinary person doesn't have. For example, in your case, you just mentioned uh, uh, about a story that you did where you talked to, you know, to people who were kind of sidelined. You give them a voice, you know. So this is something that we should always remember that we are only there to serve the interests of the people. We are the, literally the voice of the voiceless. Because, I mean, without journalists, these people, I mean, they can't express their views. They can't express their emotions, their bitterness, their, their stories, in, in short. So every time, always remember that you are representing a woman, a man, a child, people out there who don't have an opportunity to speak directly to the officials, to question them on certain things. But we have the power, we have the opportunity to do that. So that's the only thing that I, I, I can advise you. Don't, don't forget, you represent the people out there. Great. Thank you so much. Josh, any concluding thoughts? No, I, I think that's very good advice, Winston. Okay. Thanks so much. Well, uh, dear listener, on that note, we have come to the end of this special edition of uh, Transparency Talks, where, you know, you were kind of knowing the people behind the production of the podcast. We're talking about Joshua and Kira, and of course, myself. And this is a podcast that focuses on issues of truth, transparency, trust, and the people within the CCIJ community. And uh, as usual, we speak to journalists from all over the world. This has been Winston Mare. Take care.